Today's program has been brought to you by Calavita. Think outside the bottle with Calavita, America's trusted family brand, makers of extra virgin olive oil and fine Italian food products. Calavita.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey folks, welcome. Food talk here. I think the mic's hot. The mic's hot. The mics are hot, right? Okay, the mics are hot. It's food talk. We're starting on this windy, windy day. It's March, but it's getting cold and blowing hard. And I got hosts. So I've been bicycling around New York since 1982 when I first got here. I bought a bicycle, go to 10 speed to save money. I forget how you learn how to live here. Is you, you know, either I would jog or run. So I've pretty much done everything, you know, every particular. I mean, I'm still alive, but yeah, I've braked and slid into cars and ran into the back of taxis and almost gotten in fights and and yesterday but i you know it's funny because i checked the weather i got a weather app on my phone and yesterday i went to union square on my way up to get do my workout and chance of rain all day yesterday all right whatever i get like a rainproof slicker on you know of course your legs get wet and i I, so I I buy my fish i have my ice packs i'm going to the gym and um bump into alexandra leaf who's an old friend like a new york intellectual foodie lives near Union Square. She's big in the chocolate space. I had her on the radio years ago when I was at WOR. And so we were catching up, and then another friend of hers shows up. This is like New York, so like instead of being, instead of being where I'm supposed to be, I'm like 35 minutes late because we're all just talking. And, they, and of course, it turns to politics, and it's like another 20 minutes. Uh, and then it starts to rain. So then I make a mad dash. I think I'm going to take my bike down to, rather than leaving it at Union Square, I'm going to take it closer to my apartment because the F train can take me where I want to go to. And I just got soaked. Soaked. I hate when that happens. I got so soaked, I had to like go home and get changed. I mean, like, everything was wet. It was like everything. Socks. Like, everything was just like, all right, try this all over again. And then today, it's like windy as hell. Today was like crazy. If you're on a bicycle today, it was nuts. I drove across town and uptown today, and the winds are just crazy. And it's supposed to be like 20 degrees this weekend. Anyway, we had a great show. If you don't like wine, just click the off button. Because we are in, we are in the wine world last week, this week, and next week. Last week, if you remember... We did a little promo for that Whiskey Live thing, which was last night that I actually never went to. I had VIP passes and everything, but I'm like, you ever go to those things? They're cool, but it's like, there's a thousand people when you're walking around. Like, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I think they did really well, because it's like the 15th year, so I'm sure they did. Um, but we had Pascaline on last week. So great to have Pascaline Peltier on the show. She is one of my heroes. She's brilliant. She's funny. Andy Bennett, her chef, was with us. This week, I'm thrilled. I've had Victoria James out here before. Victoria is, if you don't know who she is, Google her name, okay? Because you'll find out really fast. That's what everyone does these things these days. But uh, apparently, she started the restaurant business at 13. I read this from your bio. <laughs> she started the restaurant business at 13, so I'll talk about that. She was featured in Zagat's 30 Under 30, Forbes 40 Under 40, or maybe that was Wine Enthusiast, but tons of accolades, because she's one of these like young gun psalms that probably, honestly, I think, I've mentioned this before, like so I'm a bird watcher, and every so often you know, there's like, 
a strange bird that you see that like is that a cross between a red tail and a cooper? What is that thing? So at some point, like in the last seven years, I began to scratch my head because I kept on beginning to these twenty five year olds like you and Erin Healy on the floor at Forgione and others who were just so smart and like got your psalm levels when you were like twenty one, twenty two. You guys didn't exist. This is like a new species of psalm. It just didn't. You guys, there weren't people like you before. It's a new generation. Smart, young, and stoked. And I've never met this cat, Lyle Railsback, her significant other, who works for Kermit Lynch, who you may have heard of, because if you're listening to this still, that probably means you're into wine. And if you're into wine and you haven't heard of Kermit Lynch, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you've been drinking, but Kermit started his business in 72, 73, the beginning of that whole Berkeley hippie cool food scene. Um, I think the story has it, it was like a $5,000 loan and a storefront in Berkeley. And he's gone on to put together one of the greatest portfolios out there. I've always told friends of mine who first come to the city and they're into wine, if you know what you like varietal-wise or region-wise, here's a list of 15 importers. So rather than buying the front of the label, spin it around. And if it says Kermit Lynch or Mad Rose, Neil Rosenthal or Skernick or Savio Suarez or Dresner, or if you're in a bio and organic, if it's Jenny and Francois and Zev, and back to Dresner again, buy the bottles because they really don't have bad wine in their portfolio. Um, so, guys, thanks for coming out. Thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here. I know you're super, super busy. You have to get back to the restaurant, and you're you, you're doing something, I'm sure, to be doing taste. Yeah, he's to, flying out tomorrow, I think. To where? I'm flying to Paris tomorrow. God bless you. Business? Business and pleasure. Now we're, we're in Paris for two days tasting wine with a lot of our French suppliers, and then the next day we fly to Corsica, and we're there for three days visiting... Kermit's 12 Corsican producers. He has 12 in Corsica? We're crazy. How many total are there in Corsica? I mean, I thought, I knew David Bowler was in Corsica for a while. Oh, really? No, Kermit was the OG of Corsican wine. He's, he's been going there since 1980. Have you been before? Uh, I've been a few times. So what is, I've seen pictures of some of these vineyards. Some of them yeah. just look so gnarly. So when you're, these aren't like long, sloping, verdant, green hillsides. Some are. Some are? Okay. But some, I mean. Because of the wind and the weather, I'd imagine you can't, you don't want too high and yeah Corsica is a mountain it's 2,000 meters elevation so you can ski and look at the Mediterranean it's a crazy place it actually has snow on the top yeah no oh, yeah. like so skiing like, like Etna kind of a thing but not volcanic yes Corsica Etna is... went this week didn't it Etna like blew up or something I saw a picture mm, I, I didn't know that. so Corsica so it's so it has a volcanic terroir no, there's no. It does, there's no volcano. There's no volcano. So it just has the elevation, so you can it's, have temperature swings by day and night. And yeah, it's got a very, it's got a big diurnal shift. So right. really cool nights, freshness right. in the wines. Right. It's the polar opposite of Sardinia. So got you. yeah, got you. So Victoria, tell me, why, why did you start the restaurant business at 13? That seems like like an awful cruel thing for a young lady. I mean, <laughs> I started at 13 because I was like a punk kid and was asking my dad for allowance because all my Jewish friends got bar and bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, and dad's like. Dude, we're Italian. Get a fucking job. Like, there's no handouts here. You want to go to that cream concert? You want to buy that denim jacket? You know, so I pumped gas, delivered papers, hated all nice. of the above. And then the only thing to do was like pot washer. And then one day, like the hot dog guy calls in sick or something. And you're like, I could do that. The you put the apron guy? on and you're like the cold guy. You're like, you're like Mr. Garamanger. But that's how I started at 13 was just like, I fell in sideways. What got you into it? Um, yeah, same. Falling in sideways, I suppose. My family... Uh, we didn't have any money growing up, so if you wanted to buy anything, you had to find a way to make money. Mm. Um, prior to working in restaurants at 13, I had a very successful pet-sitting business. Before you were 13? <laughs> Before I was 13, yeah. What is it with pets? I mean, 
Is I think it might be a girl thing too versus guys. Oh. I think no, just but like motivation because like yeah. people. I, I've got two sons. I've never had sisters. Two brothers, two sons. And people ask me like, "How old are your boys?" And I'm like, "Chronologically or psychologically?" <laughs> because when I when I, even in elementary school, I used to redo their classes. So I because I, I, we lived like a block away in West Cape May, so I would go always in as, as volunteer reader once a week and hit both of their classes. They were two years apart, and I did this from kindergarten through sixth grade. So you kind of watched this growth of these kids, and by sixth grade. I could read, like, pretty cool young adult fiction, some short stories from The New Yorker. You know, the kids were coming on to speed. Well, the girls. And they'd be at the edge of their seat listening and asking. And the guys are just, like, picking their nose, looking out the window. And I'm like, so already in sixth grade, the girls were, like, two years older. It was, like, it was so clear that the guys were, like, developmentally, whatever we are, we're guys. And I am a poster boy for that. But anyway, so you had a pet sitting business before you were 13. Right. And, uh, you know, I decided to go legal when I was 13 and uh, start in restaurants. So there was a, a local diner and I thought it was great. I worked in the smoking section and had a lot of older waitress friends. Um, yeah. When other kids were going to the mall, I was helping, uh, you know, these waitresses shop for pantyhose at the corner drugstore. It was great. That's so funny. And where, where part, what part of the world? So I started, this is in New Jersey. Really? You're a Jersey the train person. tracks. Well, mm. You don't see him, but I, I but look. I live in Jersey. I'm not, I'm yeah, not shitting on um, Jersey. Jersey's fine with me. Yeah, I, north, I live south. For, yeah, this was um, north. This was in South Orange, New Jersey. Oh, the, I lived in Maplewood for a few years. I okay, got buddies cool. in South Orange. Those yeah. are cool little towns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of progressive, cool, integrated. You all had the same high school, South Orange. You went to. Well, I never went to the high school. Okay, there. so then I um, came to New York and did a bunch of traveling and kind of worked my way in to diners no matter where i lived because you could always get a job at them you were a young cute girl and they always needed someone who could wait tables and clean out the ashtrays and it's funny because you mentioned that about the waitresses when i first started in restaurants i kind of got into it because same sort of so now i'm in a kitchen i'm on the other side of the swinging doors but you're in with these older dudes and it's like there's a back then back this is like philadelphia we're in philadelphia there's like a tv and they're watching the flyers game and the guys are wearing t-shirts and smoking cigarettes and i remember all the cutting boards had like burn marks all around them from they put the cigarette down to like carve the prime rib and scoop the shit from the bamery and and the waitresses were like these salty older women that had like you know just it, it was like another world it was like this isn't my parents. This is like no one I knew. So it was kind of seductive, right? The restaurant world's kind of this cool place. Yeah, I know, especially for a young kid as well. It was just a really like crusty, down-to-earth, really raw environment um, that was very appealing. And I think Lyle also got into the restaurant industry that way as well. Well, That was my next question. My first restaurant restaurant gig was doing magic. I was a magician in the local (laughs) restaurant in Sterling, Kansas in high school. Whoa! That's like Wizard of Oz shit. Isn't Kansas? Yeah, Wizard of Oz is Kansas. That's where Dorothy blew away from. Yeah, it was a town of 2,000 people north of Wichita, and I was into magic, and so I was the... The way kids get drawn into magic. One of my cousins or nephews is really into magic, too. And he's really good at it. Like, I don't know how you do that shit. So you got into magic, you learned all... So how did you do that back then without the internet? How did you learn that stuff You had to buy, like, trade publications and, like, rent videos and stuff, and you, like... Like VHS It's really hard to get... Yeah, VHS, and you had to read magazines and subscribe to things and go to magic shops in major cities, and it was very different than today. So you were performing magic in restaurants, and that got you into restaurants? Well, no, I was doing that, and then uh, throughout high school, I got interested in cooking, and I I was really into food. And then in college, I got a job in a restaurant um, and tried to get a job cooking the line when I had come back from Europe, and they said, we've 
we filled the position, but we need a sommelier. And I was 20. So I said, I, you know, I'm not legal. And they said, that's okay. And I said, I don't, I don't know anything about wine. And they said, that's okay. You'll learn. So, <laughs> yeah, Where that, was, that was this? Uh, is California? No, this was in Oregon wine country. This was in, in Willamette Valley. That's hysterical. Yeah. What year was this? The 90s? Uh, yeah, this was, uh, yeah. It was that Late chill. That was that yeah. funny. So, so you clearly you did all the above. Yeah. So you immediately went out and got like Hugh Johnson's books on wines or whatever the hell yeah, people. Yeah. Maynard Maynard Emery, I think, was the first thing. And <laughs> reading, you know, just yeah, figured it out, and then went to San Francisco, worked in a French restaurant, realized there was more to the world than Oregon Pinot Noir, and uh, haven't gone back. <laughs> so. And how long have you been with Kermit? Eight years now. And what is your purview? What's your? Because I didn't know. Like I know you sent me the bio, but like I know yeah. what, like the title. I don't know what these things. Well, mean. I do national sales for Kermit. That's so what I, you said. I, I, yeah, I travel around the U.S. and I sell to our distributors, and we sell to all fifty states. And I, I personally handle fifteen of them, and then do other national stuff. So you're traveling a shit. Time. I travel a lot. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and Kermit's just really such a such a great story. Yeah. You know, just start out. Is he still concentrating? As, as I recall. His major strengths were Italy and France. That's yes, what, like, and I think all Kerm- we do now. That is, know? yeah. When Kermit started in the seventies, he was doing Germany and Spain and California, and he's just he got focused early on and stayed focused, and that's what we do still. Yeah. That's a good story. I like it. And yeah. tell me about there's, but we're not we're not in there yet. There's another half to you. You also have a brother, and you you make wines. Yeah, my brother started a label. I think seven years ago now, called Ludi, that he makes with Justin Willett from Tyler Winery in Santa Barbara. How do you spell Ludi? L I E U. Second word D I T, like the gotcha. French word for right. place name. Right. Yeah. So they're making wines. It's, it's a project they started in California, uh, making Loire Valley varietals with more acid and freshness, and that's uh, more acid something. than Loire. So, no, but I mean, San Inez, Santa Barbara. This more acid the than only... the West Coast. More acid yes, than we're yes. usually seeing yeah, yeah. from the the ripeness and the lushness of the fruit out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And his wines are so Chenin Blanc, Chenin Blanc, and uh, Melon de Melon okay. and Sauvignon Blanc, gotcha. and Cabernet Franc, a little bit of Pinot Rosé. But the wines are you know twelve five alcohol, and and they taste like European wines. And we, my brother and I will go around the U.S. and do these dinners of Kermit Loire side by side with Ludi, and people will taste them and, and often say, "Well, which one's which?" So yeah, I had cool. I had some I had that happen. Well, something like that happened. Not not on the West Coast, but I was the first time I met Pascaline, or one of the first times we were. It was between shifts at the Rouge Tomat when it was uptown, and I love being blind poured because why not make a fool of yourself in public you know <laughs> it's, it's the most humiliating thing i mean yeah, it's sure. it is what it is so it's, you just have to anyway i love it and, and you met my son him too yeah. like actually we we've like asked to be tortured at restaurants don't tell us what it is just just pour what do you think what are you getting it's like oh my god these guys and we will go with, anyway anyway so pascaline pours me this glass of wine walks away comes back red wine comes back and i said well i'm pretty sure we're looking at the right bank it's bordeaux you know, it's. I'm not classified. It's a good wine, like third growth somewhere, but just good. It seems to be Merlot Cap Franc, uh, but you know, kind of done in a reserve style. I'm not getting a lot of or any new oak to speak of. Blah 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 blah. And she goes, "Well, no." I said, "What?" And she goes, "Yeah, everything was right except it's from the Finger Lakes. It was Bloomer Creek, Cheval Blanc, White Horse. So it was Cap Franc from upstate New York. But it was so European. To your point, it was like." Like, no way I'm putting that wine in America, just in any way. It had acid. It was restrained. The alcohol level was low. We just had that real, you know, almost a little of that pyrazine green 
pepper, you know, kind of that not flaw, but you get that from Cab Franc sometimes. Mm. Um, so can we buy those wines in New York? Yeah, yeah. He's, his wines are represented in New York. And then on top of Lou D, we started a project last year. We're making a wine together that we call Railsback Frere. And we, we started making a rosé, which was kind of an homage to Lulu Road at Domaine Tampier. I think we've so, all heard it. And you, did you get yeah. to meet her? Didn't I see that as part of your trip? Yes, I, I met her for the first time when I was there last How month. How epic was that? She's like 90? 99. 90 fucking nine. Oh my God. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Holy shit burgers. She looks great. She's amazing. She's, man. She's four foot two, maybe. And sits at the end of the table drinking red wine like it's milk and telling <laughs> dirty jokes to us. It's, it's, oh, you it's have to tell one of the, of the dirty it's jokes. It's the highlight of the trip for sure. Well, this yeah. isn't this isn't this isn't FCC. Let me hear like yeah. a dirty joke that's yeah. not going to offend everyone. Yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's so much everyone. funnier coming from a 99 year old woman. I'm sure, I'm sure. So picture her. But okay. yeah, so picture Lulu Road with bright red lipstick, uh, four foot two, and she's saying that um, there's this. Husband who stays out late every night. He's out drinking in the bars until 3, 4 a.m. And his wife's at home alone in bed asleep. And one night he comes home early and then doesn't go out drinking. And he comes home and she's there and she's in bed with a homeless man. And, and he's outraged and says, what are, you, what are you doing in bed with a homeless guy? And she says, well, you know, he came to the door and asked if I had anything to eat. So I, I fed him. And then he asked if, he, if we had anything to drink. So I, I gave him a bottle of wine. And then after that, he asked if... If there was anything my husband didn't want or wasn't using. <laughs> and to hear that from Lulu Road is just fucking priceless. <laughs> hear from you is pretty good. <laughs> I like it. That's too, fu- that's too funny. No, but the great thing about her, too, is was when we were there, she's so optimistic. I mean, she was telling us that last year she fell um, and broke her arm on the bathroom floor and was yeah. by herself. The Laid there all night, night telling herself jokes and funny stories. Just to keep herself so distracted amazing. from the pain. Yeah. She's, a, you know what, though, that's a different yeah. generation. Yeah. yeah. So lived through World War II, lived through post-war France, and yeah. South was must have been brutal. Yeah, yeah that's like, the, I mean, that's a Kermit Lynch. is That's like the corner one. I mean, when you read the Kermit Lynch website about <laughs> don't Vandal, yeah. it's like that's a cornerstone yeah. wine for you guys to have in the portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, Kermit wouldn't be. I mean, that's so such a part of what we are is is Domaine Tampier and Lulu and Richard Olney and Alice Waters. That whole the beginning of Kermit yep. in the early seventies yep. and yeah, it's the beginning of a lot of yeah. things. Yeah. Beginning yeah. of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I so I live here and I live in Cape May. Mm. I go. I usually come up Monday or Tuesday and go home every Friday. And then at the end of June, I'm just out of here. I'm not July and August. Yeah. Fuck New York. I spent enough summers in New York. I mean, it's not even a. I come, I'll, I'll come up once every 10 days to buy food and go home the same day. There's <laughs> things we can get. There's things we can't get. Um, but wine, we really can't get in Cape May. It just sucks. You're in, a, you're in Jersey. Sorry, Jersey. And B, you're in like South Jersey where, you know, uh, like if you want flavored vodkas, yes. If you want rows of like the worst Pinot Grigio, you're in heaven. You know, California Merlots, wines, you don't even know what the fuck they are. The label just has like something on it, like the name of a burry. But... So, but wow. so I, then we're all like funny because I hang out at a very specific beach. Like my Cove Beach is my beach. Um, it's where my kids grew up. It's where you can surf, you can bodyboard, you can swim. I'm an open water swimmer, so it's where I swim down to the point every day. Mm. So everyone knows everybody at the beach. And one day this summer, there's like this guy, and it was my age, and his daughter lives in New York, and she's really into wine, and she knows me from the food show. And then she's with um, Ann Rosenzweig's daughter, and Ann's an ex-New York chef. Ann was really huge in the 80s, a real pioneer female chef in the 80s and 90s. 
Arcadia was at a restaurant. She's a big, big name. She's cool. Um, her daughter is really into wine, and her daughter knows me. So we're just talking about like stuff, and they're asking me where they can get this or that, and I'm telling them go to this for fish and go to there. And they said, you know, we just got a couple of bottles of Domaine Tempier at, at Sunset Liquor, and I'm like. What the fuck? Sunset Liquor. It's like it used to be a gas station. It's like a, a, a minute walk from my house. So I, but it's, but it's under new ownership. It's new, so I go in there and I just said, I, you know, this is like a silly question. But you actually have Domaine Tempier Rosé? And they said, yeah. I said, how much do you have? We got half a case. Son, done. Here's my card. Are you kidding me? I said, do you get this? We get a case every summer. I said, all right, from now on. <laughs> I want six of them, but it was, yeah, it's really. If you're, if you're a New York sommelier and you're listening to this program, that was a fictional story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, if they smuggled it in from, yeah, it fell off the they truck. Got it, they got it from Patrick Capiello. Patrick Capiello, who's in Burgundy yeah. now. I hate you, Psalms. You he guys are the. He gets all the best allocations. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm, Blame I'm, Capiello. I'm dating you and I can't get any Tompier Rosé. What's up with that? Yeah. Go to New Jersey. South New Jersey. <laughs> the very, very south. Yeah. Any further south, you fall in the water. K-Maze is where the land right. ends, okay. actually. No. That's hysterical. Sorry. Okay. Well, so. I'll just buy some rails back Frere then, Rosé. Rails back Frere. Pretty it's, similar. It's the doppelganger for Ben. So what's your... So then, so what is your... What are your varietals? Because she's Mauveled since so... Um, we we found She's three. Uh, what are, what's in her rosé? Well, Mouvedre? it's mostly Mouvedre and yeah. Sanso, and there's Grenache. Those and, are like twenty five, twenty five. Claret, okay. um, but for California, we we could we found some Grenache. Two thousand fifteen was our first vintage. We found two tons of Grenache that we really liked, and two tons of Carignan, and they were old planting some of the original stuff from Zacamesa in the seventies. Mm. Um, so yeah, it makes makes a delicious rosé. Very delicious. I'll send you a bottle. Send me a bottle. Yeah. So we, we should be, you brought some wines. You were nice enough to bring. Let's pour yeah. something and talk about it. And then I want to hear really what I want to do. Shut up. And I want you guys to tell me about the trip. Oh, yeah. Because that was kind of like, you You know, one of the cool things, I guess. I was really late to getting into social media because I am not that kind of person. Like, I really don't want people to know where I am every night, every minute. I don't feel like that's not how my generation communicates. But then I was told by everyone that deal does business with me that you have to be on social media, that if you don't, fuck you. So, okay, I got on social media. I got on Instagram like 12 months ago. I've seen your uh, Tinder profile. <laughs> yeah, baby. Me and Vladimir. I love, I love shots with the shirt off. I try and die, I'm afraid of horses, but I've been on a couple of horses with my shirt off, as long as they don't move. Yeah. You never see like a video of me. Funny no, he's, he's not kidding. He's not, he, he, he Googled that shit. Yeah. Swiped left. <laughs> um. But, but but Facebook is cool because you get to see like the stream of that's why I know Patrick is in Burgundy now. That's why I knew you guys had this great trip where you were like everywhere. So tell me what we're drinking here since we're not going to Yeah, this board. is a white wine from a producer we work with in the Languedoc called Sylvain Fadat. His his winery is called Domaine Dopiac. He's in Montperu and it's all limestone terroir. This bottling is is he calls Cocalier. It's a vineyard that he planted with dynamite. He used dynamite for 30 days to break into the rock it's Whoa. it's on this really steep crest of what used to be a volcano so it's limestone and volcanic rock super steep vineyard he planted it in the late 90s so it's relatively young vines but it's uh white grapes that you'd expect to see there marsan Roussin, grenache blanc vermentino but the terroir and the site of this cocalier is is pretty silly it's nice i like that it's not uh, the most well-known Kermit wine. Uh, it's it's delicious. Definitely. How many wines in your in, in Kermit's entire portfolio? Now? We have over two hundred producers, which okay. means over a thousand wines. Right. Right. Yeah. And Languedoc's a fun area. I was when, when they opened up their New York Maison back in like oh six oh seven. Um, 
they were expanding. Do you ever meet Marie? Uh, yeah, Marianne Lefebvre. She's great. She's great. She's really cool. Uh, they had a little office off Fifth Avenue, and so for the first four or five years, we kind of partnered up. I was their chef in residence, and we did some video with them. So we flew out there a couple of times and like toured the whole area. And it was it's like kind of new for me to have been there because it's a little off the beaten track. Like Montpellier is kind of the hub, but it really runs from almost the coast of Spain up to the Pyrenees mm. and up out then to the east past Montpellier. And then once, but once you're there, this is a great thing about. We'll talk about where you guys just did. You sort of get a sense of. You can never get a sense of the place until you're there. Until you're actually there, feeling that sun, feeling that wind. And then I learned, not surprisingly, it's the biggest organic wine-growing region on planet Earth. It's way easily the biggest one in France. A, because it's big. B, because land's cheap. And C, because the weather is just remarkable. It's just, you get that wind off the ocean all the time. It's pretty damn dry. Um, as you get into the Pyrenees, you've got elevation. So they're really doing some great, great work down there now. That's where Kermit's finding our best values. Right now. There in the Loire Valley. That's the other. I mean, Loire is amazing. And then Jura is so tiny, we can't really talk about it because it's like 1% of France. But uh, that's kind of like all I'm drinking is Loire and Jura these days. And Alsace. And Alsace. Alsace is incredible. That's the biggest, you know, for white wines, serious white wines in the world, that's, you know... For value, forget Burgundy. It's it's over. Yeah, and uh, I still have a bottle of Clusanun I have not opened because it's like my <laughs> my only bottle, and I'm like, I don't know when I'm. It's like, dude, just fucking open the thing up. Just <laughs> open up one night. Like you always do this with wine. Like you keep this one, and then like you open it up, and it's like corked or it's gone. Or but I don't think Clos going to go anywhere because it's so steely. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're doing. We were there too. We were there. Uh, I mean, wines of Alsace are just amazing. Yeah. Got to meet Olivier Umbrecht and the guys from Josmaier, and again, a lot of bio organic because they're kind of close to Steiner in Germany, mm-hmm. and it doesn't rain. Much in, in Alsace at all. That mountain, whatever that mountain is there, that mountain. Vosges. The Vosges holds the rain off of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see the, like, the pictures of like what that place looked like, like post-World War II. It's fucked up. Mm. Like the old vigneron were showing me, like they're going through their photo albums of what, because it was right on the German border. Mm. Um, and even as the Germans were retreating, they were just like bulldozing, tanking, blowing up everything. And guys talked about... Um, a couple of the older vignerons talked about how they bought their bought land in like the fifties and sixties, and one of the things they had to do was clear like undetonated bombs off of the land because that's mm. that's what it was, and it was still really a bargain then because mm. I mean, and, and I think it still is. I mean, for yeah. the rieslings are amazing, oh, sure. their pinot noirs are great. Yeah, and when we were uh, well, we were there actually last year as well, and the two thousand sixteen vintage was so horrible for Burgundy and the Loire. I mean. Lyle and I were talking about it earlier. I think the alternatives, there's just not much wine coming from there now. So you can't get white Burgundy or you won't be able to in the next few years. So you really have to look to Alsace and have like these beautiful, like Ostertag makes a delicious Pinot Gris. Ostertag's amazing. He's another Mm -hmm. one we met. Actually, I made him with Just My Air and Urmbach made a picnic um, on the T-H-A-N on that hillside. Tan. Tan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, those three guys, I was like, fuck, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can, do we have to do anything later? Let's just go <laughs> stay here all day. Nice. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, after Robert Chatterton retired, Kermit got the wines from Boxler, too, which is really. Chatterton's retired? Pretty sweet. Yeah. That's funny because he Facebook, like, he'll make comments on my Facebook stuff, but he still has an yeah. office in, like, Rockefeller Center or something. He may have it. He may. Still, I don't know. Because he was, I remember his, like, that label yeah. from when I was a kid of, like, good wines of that Robert Chatterson selection or something. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of handwritten, right? I remember that stuff because mm-hmm. that was back then. That was like, oh, that meant that was serious juice. Yeah. Yeah, Boxler stuff's great, too. Mm. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a, let's take a break for uh, Colavita Spot, and we'll come back in, in, in three minutes, two minutes. And then I just want to hear about your trip. So you talk about, like, 
flying first class on that jumbo <laughs> Airbus, and how you got on there, and there was the champagne, and then they made the bed, and it was like they, rosewood table. They rolled out, and or we can tell you the real story. Yeah, I know that story. <laughs> Either way, Coach C <laughs> next to the bathroom, C twenty seven. Yeah, the bathroom that's broken, or the middle two seats on a three four three plane. Yeah, yeah, next to like the two German guys. Yeah, that's fun. The, yeah, we ordered the lasagna. <laughs> yeah, the, the vegetarian lasagna. All right, I'll take a spot and be right back. Folks, Mike Kalameko here. Everybody knows that great cooking really starts with great ingredients, and these days we have so many options to choose from. Well, I go back to the Colavita family brand for years, and there really is a Colavita family behind this brand. I got their story long after I started using their products. Back in the mid-80s when I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton here in New York City, one of the things you can do as a chef is order your own food. You do the purchasing, and we switched olive oils to Colavita. Uh, when I had my own restaurant down in Cape May, New Jersey, the Globe, for years, that's all we ever poured at the table. That's all I ever cooked with. And then when I started my PBS show in 1999, I thought, you know, if I'm going to look after underwriting and funders, why don't I go after products that I actually use at home, that I actually cook for my family with and in my restaurant with. I've been working with them for 15 years with the PBS series and now with Heritage Radio. The Colavita family goes back generations in Italy. They make their olive oil from great sourced olives, traceable sourced olives, just south of Rome in Molise province, Abruzzi, which is where my family hails from. Since then, their family's moved here, so there's Colavita is living in Rome. Colavita is living in America. It's a great, trusted family brand. It's the olive oil I use, and I recommend you try it as well. We talk here. My guests are Lyle Railsback, the national sales manager for Kermit Lynch Wines. I assume you've heard of them. And Victoria James, a significant other who is a sommelier on the floor. I have to tell you, I mentioned this last week during the show because I always give shout-outs of things I do, but so I'll just be a little redundant. But we ate, uh, my son and I had a dinner at Pura. I was there once for your pasta thing, a little pasta party, because he was in now, he was rolling out like a pasta section of the yeah, menu. Yeah, we have a pasta tasting menu. Which is fucking epic. It's really ridiculous, because I'm still trying to figure out like what, I'm trying to figure out like what kind of food he's doing, because you have a pasta section and a section on his mandu, which is like Korean for dumpling. Exactly. Which is again pasta. Mm. And he makes everything by hand, but that meal was so good. It was so freaking good. He's just such a baller. And I bumped into Richard Quo the other day, and Richard was the original chef at Pearl and Ash. And we were talking about everything. I mean, just the restaurant, but we bumped into each other on Delancey Street, you know, Lower East Side. It's always where I live, and it's full of chefs and hipsters. And, um, and I mentioned Vic, uh, uh, Pierre, and he said he ate there, and it was just off the hook. I said, yeah, the guy's just, he's so dialed in. I told him, I said, you know, he came out afterwards and sat down with us, and I said, so the 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 uh, the bucatini that were black, like how'd you or rigatoni or whatever they were, how'd you do those? And he says, "Well, burnt onion powder." I'm like, "What the fuck? Who does that? Like, how do you? I mean, I could guess how you make it, but I asked him, like, hey, I mean, like, like onion brulee.' And the answer is, yeah. And then we powder it, and that goes in the pasta. Um, and then for the mandu section, yeah, like he does all that dough by hand. And I mean, holy shit, he is serious. Yeah, Chris of Lone's very talented. He's great. So we're going to do something with you guys for sure for next season on PBS. Let's figure out what and when, but we'll be, we'll be in soon. So tell me about this trip. Tell me about why you did the trip, the two of you. Is this your first time traveling together over there? No. It was, no. No, no. We've, we've traveled, tra- but not. this is a trip that we've been doing since 1992. Uh, my, my boss, the national sales manager for Kermit, is Bruce Nyers. 
and he came to work for Kermit in 92, the same year he started Nyers Vineyards, and he started going to France and visiting winemakers and, and inviting distributors from all over the U.S. So now, like this January, we had 28 people with us. So whoa, yeah, whoa, so, so okay, this wasn't, wasn't like uh, just, it wasn't a romantic. I was about to say, but you did have your little, a, you had your weekend in Paris. Yeah. We had a weekend in Paris, but up, then up, after up that, by the Champs Elysees, up by yeah. the right that yeah, looks, that looks well. And then after that, it was work, work for two and a half weeks. We were which means up early, getting the van. People. We're driving by eight a.m. and right. we're you know. Did you get a driver for that? Because there's no. A- I drove. Uh, me and my colleagues each drove a nine seater Mercedes van, so we're just we're driving our clients okay. and uh, selling wine basically. So it's a it's a sales trip. We've got distributors from all over the U.S. and we're we went to every major wine region in France in two and a half weeks. So, Insane. And sometimes ten visits a day, tasting up to three hundred wines a day. It's tolling on the body, but a great experience. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, so, what do we? By the way, what are we drinking? Because it's kind of—is uh, this bio? It's got like a little bit of this, like a bready funk on the nose. These guys are wild. This is uh, Domaine Vinci. It's a small property we work with in the Roussillon. Mm. They're up uh, up in the hills, really high elevation vineyards, like four six hundred meter elevation vineyards. Uh, this is like old, own rooted bush vines of Carignan. Uh, they have one hectare of vines. This is from one hectare, and they believe that. To, they really want to be farmers, and that if they expand, they have to then hire more people, and eventually, it's kind of like a clipboard chef. And two more donkeys. Yeah. <laughs> so they do everything by hand. They wow. hand label, they hand bottle. It's everything's done the old way, the way it was five hundred years ago, and it's it's really, delicious. It's a cool place. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. Practicing bio. Yeah, they're biodynamic. Yeah, yeah. Like very little SO two only at the end. It's bottling. They use SO two at bottling only. Yeah. <laughs> Got some real nice weight to it too, and, and the varietals were you mentioned. I forgot. Carignan and Muved. Okay, yeah. oh, from the region. So back to the trip. So you land. What was like the first? Just walk me through. Where, where we meet everybody in Paris, and then we take a TGV to Nantes. Yeah. We do the entire Loire, Loire Valley, and then Chablis. Uh, actually, this nope. year we we didn't and do Champagne. Chablis. We drove straight to Champagne, and then in one day we leave Puy sur Loire. Taste Puy Fumé. We wake up there. We do Champagne, and then finish in Alsace. That's one day. Woo! So that was it's right. We have you know, how we have, many producers in Champagne? We have three in Champagne, and we have four in Alsace. And then the next day we went to Burgundy, and our Chablis guys met us there, and we do Burgundy for three days. Yeah, because Chablis would have been like sixty miles north west of yeah, it's a lot the to, heart of Burgundy, yeah. which is funny. It's a little tiny little, but love. I mean, Chablis. Just again, we talk about like terroir minerality, that limestone and Champagne. I'm the same thing. Like you're yeah. right over that bedrock when you're going through those cobs and just looking at, you know, yeah. just. The fucking story, like digging through, like you're just underneath the limestone, and that's if you look up twenty meters, that's the roots of mm. of everything. Yeah. That's where all that Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and Pinot Noir is digging in. Yeah, yeah. And you get that that backbone. Yeah, yeah Chablis is great. Chablis is great. So, so that's like day day three. You're in Burgundy. Uh, well, we did two full days in the Loire, and then a day of Alsace and Champagne, and then we did two full days in Burgundy, and then the, the third day we. Go to Beaujolais, and we do Beaujolais, and then the Northern Rhone, and then the Southern Rhone, and then Provence, Bendel, and then the Languedoc, and then we drive to Bordeaux, and then back to Paris. Insane. So let's (laughs) stop a couple of places for a minute, and I'm just thinking Kermit, and I'm thinking history, and I'm thinking the Four Horsemen, and I'm thinking Beaujolais, because people (laughs) that don't know wine, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it gamays the grape, and it's a region that's sort of, I don't want to say vilified, but it's so much of the Beaujolais 
footprint reputation stems from the Beaujolais Nouveau promotions, which is every November, yeah. um, and also from the active marketing of George DeBoeuf, because he's a big player. Um, I'm not going to go into George DeBoeuf because I don't talk about it's, it. I mean, it's a big, yeah. it's a big family. Well, and he started kind of like Kermit. He started as a guy on his bicycle trying to help the wine, the vigneron yeah. of Beaujolais sell their wines. Yeah. Started as a really great thing. And then he got bigger and started making wine and got bigger. And, you know, they, they, they use sugar and everything. They use chemical yeast. They heat up the wine during fermentation. They cold stabilize it. They sterile filter They make it. wine. They make, <laughs> they make something that they call yeah. wine. It and, gets bottled and labeled. Yeah. And it doesn't say anything yeah. on the label except contains sulfites. Yeah. <laughs> and Kermit, you know, Beaujolais at Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant is a completely the opposite thing. Yeah, so you he was so. one of the early guys with, for, yeah, with the guys that were really, you know, yeah. I, I'm just... Because I've, I've lo- always loved Gamay. In 2005, we were there for the harvest, and we did a, a PBS show on the harvest. Yeah. And Jean-Paul Blum went to a couple of producers that I love. And, and talking about, like, you know, you, you had this. But it was Kermit's. It was, he was at the forefront of that with those. Before LaPierre La was, La was Jules Chauvet. Okay. Kermit, C-H-A-U-V-E-T. Yeah. Kermit yeah. met Jules Chauvet. It's in Kermit's book, Adventures on the Wine Route. But he met Jules Chauvet early on and figured, here's this guy who's, you know, he was kind of a micro-negociant, only buying things, but working... You know, and he he was experimenting with making wine with no SO two, making wine with native yeast. Back way back, back then, seventies, right, eighties. This guy and this correct. guy was, and he was older, much older than Kermit. So, and Lapierre studied with him. Pierre Breton from Bourgogne studied right. with him. So right. these guys right. worked together and turned other people onto it, and the whole world's different because of it. It's really cool. It is, and Gamay is such a great expressive grape, and treated well with great farming and not intervention, and as you said, you know, SO2, native yeasts, yeah. there's not a lot of manipulation. There's even some guys, I think Jean-Paul Boone's one of them that does like a Burgundian crush, so it's not carbonic maceration, but it's, yeah. it's juice running. Um, but they're just, I mean, they've gone up probably 50% in price in the last 10 years. These used to be great value, value wines. But still, in the context of value wines for me, those really good producers of, of great Gamay from Beaujolais are high 20s, low 30s. Sometimes you see them in the low 20s. There's fantastic bottles of wine. Yeah, and when you when you meet Foyard and LaPierre, these guys aren't driving Mercedes. They're still... <laughs> they're these, no, these guys, yeah. they're still extreme value wines. Yeah. You know, uh, they're living year to year kind of thing. And... and you look at what they get for a bottle of wine and what somebody in the Willamette Valley gets for a bottle of wine. No, it's crazy. So we, you, were, you started your trip in, in the Loire, and I've, you know, just a couple of years ago discovered Pepierre. And Clisson is his big cuvee, but he's got about three or four others. And, you know, I mean, Muscadet could be really, really, I mean, for the most part, like through the 80s and 90s, it was just like overcropped, chaptalized shit it was yeah. thin it was it acid it still is for the most part you drink it really cold yeah. and try not to taste too much and and then suddenly you come across someone that's like practicing right he's yeah. bio he's organic or he's organic of his bio but you know on leaves for a year and just taking care and then so you've got muscadet that's like expressive and and polyphemic and just yeah. it, and has mouthfeel that's like are you kidding me like it's a game changer one of the te- most talented guys we work with in all of France is Michel Bregion He's a guy with a gray ponytail that Kermit's worked with since the 70s. He's in Gorge, mm-hmm. and he makes Muscadet that will make you cry. It's just another, and it's, another you know, level. It tastes to me, especially with some age, like Chablis, but it's an eighth of the price. Right, which um, is right. We're talking about same. like we're talking about wines that are in the low 20s that are freaking delicious. Like I know every summer before I decamp to Cape May, I call up 
uh, David or, or, or Evan at Chambers Street and say, I need a couple of cases and I want half of it to be Muscadate. Mix it all up. You know what I like. And then I'll get like, they'll email me the receipt. And it's like, and then you get a discount because it's a case. So you're like minus 10 or whatever it is. But it's like, you know, I mean, he, there's bottles of wines that I like adored that were like $13 a bottle. Mm-hmm. I'm like, to your, so to your point about these guys being farmers and not, I'm like, I would, I would say, David, like, look, don't. You know, quote me on this, but tell them to raise their prices. The wine is fucking worth more. I will pay more. The world should pay more. But anyway, so, but it's, it's amazing value. Yeah, and I mean, when we were there to the 2016 vintage, it's such a shame because Michel Bregion, he makes these single parcel cuvées from like Gorge and Clisson, but mm. he couldn't. There wasn't enough wine to make them in the 2016 vintage, so he had to just blend them in and make his normal Muscadet much better. But unfortunately, instead of charging... What does he charge for his Gorge and Clisson? Maybe twenty bucks a bottle or thirty. He thirty. Has, Clisson's close to thirty. Yeah. So now he has to. It's his normal Muscadet, so he has to charge half that, and so he's making right, so he puts little it, so money. The prestige cuvées are going into yeah. the, the the blend. So these yeah. difficult vintages, it's really it hurts these small farmers so much. I mean, they really should raise their prices, and I think we're seeing that a bit with like the Bretons, but. And talk about 16, because we were there, we were filming in Champagne last May, and I had my phone with me, and, and in between, like, breaks, you go on your phone and check your whatever shit, and someone had sent me pictures of, of Chablis and of Beaujolais in May, just hail like you couldn't believe, like like hailstones the size of golf balls, and then someone else sent a video that they took from one of the hills in Beaujolais of one of these micro storm fronts that was moving in. And you could just see wind and lightning and hail that was just coming down sideways. And I mean, for for Chablis, it was a disaster. For Burgundy, it was a really tough year. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, we're looking at like like forty, fifty percent, eighty percent in some places. Eight, eight zero. Where, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in Beaujolais, like Domaine Diachon said that in twenty minutes of hail, they right. lost eighty percent of their production. Right. And those vines, some of those vines are so damaged just structurally yeah. that even next year might be a problem in terms of yields and recovery. Absolutely. It's a shame. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it gives a lot of people an opportunity to maybe reevaluate the quality, raise their prices if necessary. And then as wine buyers, you know, I'm looking to other regions like Alsace, the Languedoc, uh, places where there are a lot, uh, the vintages aren't as varied. Um, and you can find alternatives to Burgundy when there isn't a lot on the market. Yeah, I don't drink much Burgundy. I mean, it's, I'd love to. It's expensive. There's not a lot now. Yeah, it's really expensive. There's yeah. just not a lot now. I was with when I had this when this whatever this chap was. I got to meet this guy who makes this great Aligoté. Um He was at Discovery Wines. The name was with Pescalini. He was in town all week. So he, was on, he was on everybody's feed. Um, he's got really old vines, really tiny parcels, like less than a hectare, and they're really specific, like terroir-driven. Aligoté, which is something that kind of surprised me. Uh, but then again, with the age, and, and he's he's been organic now. He's bio. Um, yeah, Aligoté is a real interesting thing. Eric Asimov's going to do a seminar on Aligoté for this La Palais that's coming up in the next week or two. Yep. And he's including a Bouzeron that we saw from Aubert de Villain, who, you know, Aubert single-handedly resuscitated that town, that AOC, made it an AOC. And it's amazing. It's, it's you know, it's that Aligoté Doré that you were talking about before we started here. Right, because there was the two, there was a lot of people ripped up the old Doré in Plan Aligoté Vert, yeah. which is uh, right. which is back in the, the mentality of the 60s and 70s or early 80s. It was more yield, blah, 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 easier to deal with, and it's just made shit wine. Yeah. And the ones that still have old vine uh, dorés, it yeah. produces this really beautiful structured wine that's super terroir-driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we. I think the best advice in Burgundy is to find the A-list growers 
and look for their entry sure. level stuff. Right. If you have Bourgogne Blanc from Rouleau or you have Aligoté from Ant or these guys, right. it's <laughs> that's that's where you find great value. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Or just drink uh, Ostertag's or Pinot just, Gris from Alsace. Ostert- yeah, when we were when we were in Alsace, Ostertag opens ten year old bottles of Pinot Gris. I know. You think you're at a, a Burgundy tasting? I mean, it he's, could be Merceau. It's who's the little guy? Is he the little video? <laughs> right? Really like really like, like five foot five. Very he was sinewy and really chiseled. sinewy, really energetic. Yeah, he was so much fun because on the other side was uh, Umbrecht, who's like six foot six. He looks like Lurch. He's got this big head and he's this big guy. And he's, we got him and he got Osterdag. I'm like, whoa, kind these of guys representative just, of their two wine styles too. It's <laughs> actually right. Yeah, One's way sure. linear, way yeah. tighter, yeah. kind of more austere, yeah. dialed in yeah, 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 versus yeah. rounder. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those guys are great. So, so what were some of the, like the hot, like aha moments from these chips? Because there's always this thing when you know you're putting a shovel in the ground, or you're tasting wine on the table, or you're tasting like you said, like a ten year old. Um, because I don't think people realize like these like you don't think Riesling is well now we all do. I'm not going to say something stupid, but these wines are super age worthy. You've got that much acid and structure, and you have wines that I keep seeing like even Chenin Blanc. Like Pascaline will show these pictures of like you know 59 Chenin Blanc that she had. Um, she poured me one one day. I don't know, so I. I she, Comes over, I'm at Rouge, pours this. What is it? I says, okay, okay. So it's Shannon, and that's Molio style. It's delicious. It's fresh. She said, how old is it? I said, Pascaline, that's the shit you do. It's the vintages. I don't fucking know. I got the grape in the region and the style. I'm done. 1959, my friend. What the fuck? Really? And it was as alive as it was crazy. Yeah, or like old Sancerre Rouge from Reverdy. Um, it's crazy. It tastes like really beautiful, austere, delicate, red burgundy. Um, there's so many values to be found within within the Kermit portfolio, I think, from these smaller producers. Kermit says that the first vineyards he ever saw in France, he took a train to Bone, and the first actual vineyard he ever saw was Le Monarchet. And he quickly learned that if you're looking for value, you can't, <laughs> look, you can't look where everyone else is looking. And that's the big takeaway is that Kermit in the 70s started going to these places that no one gave a shit about. Cote Roti, Bandol, Cornas. He had to give those ones away. It's so for funny because as you're mentioning them now and we're now, just like ballers, yeah, ballers, yeah. ballers. Right. Now, now we have people angry that they can't get Klopp and Alamon. But, right. but for years he had to give that shit away. That's, that's, well, that's it's Kermit's another story. world. It's yeah. A, yeah, looking where people aren't looking. So yeah. now... What do you do? You go to the Languedoc. You go because the Languedoc people think it's just this big place that makes nine dollar wine, and that's the end of the story. Because it had been, it had been. I mean, the history was when when France lost Algeria, where they used to get a lot of their bulk wine made. They went to the next thing they had under their flag, which was a big place that had tons of potential. But they planted in all the wrong places, and just it was it was it was France's attempt. To make Algerian table wine in France that would sell for a, a, you know a euro a liter, and then yeah, in the nineties, to your point, I think a lot of winemakers began to look at it and just say, "Why aren't we here?" So Kermit was part of that too. Oh, Kermit was really early in the Languedoc. He started promoting that before anyone was promoting serious Languedoc wines. You know, we early on we worked with things like Corbière and, and, and really good ten dollar bottles, but now guys like Barral and Fougere. Maxime Magnon in Corbière. Like, these are some of the most exciting wines we have in all of France. Like, guys like this who are changing the game for the Languedoc and Opiac and Montpeyru, and there's a bunch of them. This is delicious. Oh, yeah. This and I haven't, cool. haven't got back my nose yet. Now we're in Savoie. This is. So, another like gem region, one of my Which favorites. Which is funny, right? So, now yeah. you're getting, you're pushing it towards like the Switzerland. Swiss border. You're getting elevations. You're getting cooler climates. Yeah. This is Chignan. This is right at the base of Mont Blanc. Steep terraces on the side of a mountain. 
No, most people in this region are not planting on steep terraces, but this is Andre and Michelle Kennard, and they've got really steep, like almost Mosul steep terraces. Like, yeah, this is old vine Mondus. Mondus. Which yeah. is the mom of Syrah. Yeah. It is. Genetically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like you get those like black pepper notes and spice, but it's much more linear, much, much lighter, much more structured, if you will. Um, and to me, this is kind of in between Burgundy and Swiss in style. Um, another gem and such a value. Was it you? Oh, man. Sorry. That's delicious. <laughs> Sorry. Pause. Radio pause there. Man. Shouldn't drink on mic. Um, gosh, that's good. Was it you that poured me that gamay from Switzerland? Yeah, pure, that was hysterical. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it was like the funniest thing. So it was my it was, my son was at me because the meal was kind of running like a blur after it's kind of all I do. Um, but I remember you brought the table. And it was like the funniest Swiss label. It was so Swiss. It was just like a Swiss flag, and it's <laughs> it said gamay. Yeah. I'm like, oh, is, is, that's like. There's no AOC. I don't even know how Switzerland yeah, does that it was, stuff. I mean, it was it was from La Cote, which is a region in the Vaud, a little bit further north of Geneva, but. You know, I mean, I we love get, Swiss wines. That was so. Kermit? No, no. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Maybe they'll do Swiss wines in the future, but um, I love Swiss It was really, cl- so really wonderfully clean. I mean, it was, it was, so it was Gamay right off the bat. Like, yeah. there was the Gamay DNA written all over it, but yeah. to Much your point, like, like, light on its toes, totally. not over-extracted, not pumped. It was just, like, clean and delicious and quaffable and... Yeah, and so for me, like the Savoie is kind of like Switzerland in France, um, and you can get these wines a lot easier. I go to great lengths to get Swiss wines on a list at Piora, and it's, it's not easy. Very little comes to the United States. So right now we have the largest collection of Swiss wines in the U.S. Piora. Yeah, but we only what? have you know, 25, <laughs> <Drum> 20, <roll. laughs> you know, because none, none come here. So um, so for me, when I can't get Swiss wines, you know, I go to the Savoie and Andre Michel Canard. This is this is one of my favorites. Um, and you can uh, notoriously we drink this at Pure with leftover hot dogs from family meal because it is just the most delicious, like <laughs> glue, glue, like easy drinking glug, glug wine. Leftover hot dogs. Leftover. Come on. Those are specially made hot dogs. You don't have <laughs> leftover. You don't have hot dogs on the menu. You can have leftover hot right, dogs. Yeah. Probably from the butcher down the street. They're like artisan hot dogs. So, good. so what does this retail for a bottle? It's like $35. It's delicious. Yeah. Freaking delicious wine. It's, and these wines will age. They'll age for 20 years. They'll, and they'll taste like Northern Rhone Syrah. So and Kermit still travels. Years. He still he still has that. Because it's, I mean, as in a couple of weeks, I'll have, well, actually, in a month or two, I'll have both Eben and David Lilly here. Um, huge fans of Chamber Street as a store, huge fans of them. But, you know, they just did a trip together. Same idea. Like the Kermit, they like go meet. Kermit, yeah, Kermit lives in France half the year. He's in got South a house. France, he's got a house that's right next to Domaine Tompier. Yeah. So he can always have Bandol to, <laughs> to drink. And, um, yeah, he still travels around and. He's active. He's 75, and he's, he, he tells people that he's pseudo-retired, but he's still very actively finding things. And we've got people who work with Kermit and have for 15 years that are, that are doing what he used to do. And Kermit's son, and you. Anthony, is involved now, too. So okay. his son's going to be there with me on this next trip next week. Where are you going next week? So you mentioned you're yeah, going to go... Corsica, Italy. We're in Italy. All over? All over, yeah. We take a boat from Corsica, and we do Tuscany, Emilia-Romagna, Liguria, Piedmont... Um, Veneto, Friuli. We haven't talked much about Italy. What, what have you seen going on? Pick a, a region and a style because there's lots going on. I mean, we just, I was in Sicily for the first time a couple of years ago and it was, I mean, everybody's sort of talking about Etna, Etna, Etna. Uh, is this really. We don't work with anybody in Etna. We only have one producer in Sicily. They're, they're on the very southern tip. El Loro is the name of the DOP down there. Mm. But 
We do stuff mostly in the north, and uh, Friuli is a really exciting place. Uh, the wines coming out of there are some of the best in Italy, certainly for whites. That and Alto Adige are kind of neck and neck. But yeah, Alto Adige. I'm not even sure it's Italy, but it's it's <laughs> they, it has an Italian flag, although yeah. they speak some other language. Same with Friuli. Friuli feels like Eastern Europe. You know, it's <laughs> really uh, yeah. It's funny when it, cause I'm Italian, people talk about like Italy, and I'm like, look, until you go there, like there is no Italy. There's, there's, it's like a fiefdom. There's like 39 little feudal states that hate each other. <laughs> it's just, and, and diversity. If you want diversity, that's the country to do it. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's really funny. But Alto is funny because I mean, the first time I went to Alto Adige, you we fly into Austria. Yeah. It's the fastest way to get there. Yeah, yeah. Flying to Vienna, and then you fly into Innsbruck, and then you, you car over, yeah. and you're looking at this place saying, Italy, and everyone's like six foot three with red hair and blue eyes, and their names are Hans and Franz, and all the varietals. Are like this is Italy, what yeah. you know, Traminer and yeah. really, but it's great. It's a really interesting region. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. Did so, we? Did Victoria tell you about her rose book? I think we're going to have you, you know, on, oh. so we'll highlight ah. that. No, so no, so one of the highlights that. Well, I'll let you talk about it. You got a rosé well, book. Oh, yeah. Well, we can talk about that another time on the show. I think we'll do that. When the book's out, because the book's oh, out this spring. A closer, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. But, um, no, no, no. no. We'll, we're going to tease. We're going to tease that. When's the book coming out? Uh, the book is being published May 2nd. It's going to be Fine. Published. I do the show through June, and then I leave. So Great. we'll get you on in May or June. Perfect awesome. time for rosé season. Exactly. So it's uh, being published by Harper's on May 2nd. Lyle here did the illustrations. I read that. I read that in your bio. Huh? She sent me your bio. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's great. So you it's draw too? That's like another superpower you have? He's very talented. Yeah, I did the magic and got into drawing in college <laughs> drawing watercolor what kind of stuff uh yeah i did just some watercolors and some pen and ink drawings just simple kind of kid illustrations i guess the book is beautiful it looks like it was definitely not illustrated by a kid um but it's very charming so i am very excited to share it with everyone and, and we can get more into that later uh not to take away from lyle and the trip but um yeah it was a great project to work on with you no, thanks for mentioning it, Lyle, because I totally, I, I didn't space it out on purpose, but I know we're going to have, you're not done this season with me. You're coming back in May or June because it's perfect rosé. And just, as a, like, have there been books specifically just about rosé before? Or is there, there, like, a chapter in a book? There have been, but not for a very, very long time. Um, not it seems like rosé is having its moment. It is, and right? deservedly so. Uh, it's a style of wine, just like red or, or white wine, and it finally deserves a place on the table. So, you know, I really focused here on very much the, like Lyle said, the Kermit Lynch, Alice Waters, Richard Olney mentality of just the, the lifestyle of rosé in the sense of this joie de vivre, but also... Um, there's something meaningful to it. Um, you know, it's, it's a unappreciated style of wine. So I concentrate on history regions, producers, but there's also a fun recipe section as well, because what is rosé without delicious food? Yeah. And it comes, I mean, normally the, the 16s will hit the market this spring. Yeah. In a few weeks, a few weeks. And it's like, we're getting, it seems like, although it's going to get really cold, I think in a day or two for, A couple of days in this region, but I think we're sort of out of... I mean, I had crocuses in my backyard in Cape May 10 days ago, yeah. and I'm not the only one, and there's peeper frogs. So I think we're... It's going to be an early early spring this year. Yeah, and I mean, I think some of the rosés, like when we were in Bandol with Lulupe Road, that's, to me, one of the best rosés, obviously, is um, Bandol Rosé and Domaine Tampier, yeah. but they're so great because they get you into... Um, the red wines there too. Bandol Rouge is so underappreciated in this market, and I think people start with the rosé, and that's how they get into these beautiful, age-worthy reds. Yeah, I haven't. I'm trying to think. The last time I had a just pure Bandol Rouge, and it's been yeah, a long there's time. still a hidden thing. Like Eric Asimov did an article of, last week in the New York Times about 
Bandol and the Reds, because the Rosés have now finally caught on, and we're allocating them, but the Reds are more special than the Rosé. When you have Bandol Red, there's nothing in the world that tastes like that. There's nothing can do at the table what that does. That's what Kermit's been preaching the gospel for for 20, 40 years. And, and so describe her reds, because she makes a, a pure red. So it's, it's, is it a blend, or is it all or all Mouveled? Uh No, by law, you have to use Grenache? at least 50% Mouvedre. Okay. And you can use up to 95. Okay. So you can't do all Mouvedre. So, so AOC says but, half uh, that, and then yeah. and then the other blends that you're allowed to mix in are... People use Grenache, and they use Senso, and Syrah sometimes, but... Um, but it's delicious, and you know, not just Tompier. Uh, one of my favorites next door is Gros Nuray, and yeah. I think that's even better now than Kermit Tompier. was emailing me this morning about Alain Pascal. He's a guy we work with. His winery is called Gros Nuray. The vines were planted with the help of Tompier back in the seventies, but they just sold fruit. He sold his fruit to Domaine Ott and Pibernon, and then Kermit and Tompier convinced him to start Domaine bottling in the late, only as far as the late nineties. So it's a new domain. And these, the early vintages from him were pretty coarse. They were pretty rough and huge. And now he's really going for finesse and he's picking super early and he's bottling on the gas. So it's got a little bit of CO2 and freshness and he's a guy to watch. So the first vintages he was picking later, he was, had much more, he had yeah. fruit was riper, higher alcohol. Yeah. It's easy. It's an easy, you know, Provence is warm yeah. and it's easy yeah. to do that and yeah. you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, but it's hard to be the guy who picks early there. Well, but you see, I mean, back to your point about growing on the West Coast, you see what, what Raj is doing, and you know these guys that are making European style wines. You know, Raj is yeah. you, the people are touring, and he says, "Yeah, well, that's he's harvesting next week. Mine's already in the barrel." Yeah. You know, it's just like yeah. it, it was perfect when we picked it. That's the style. That's what I'm kind of. I don't drink much California anything because for so many years the style was just well, we know what it was. So. But now, now I'm seeing there's like that 7% of like smaller, younger vignerons that are yeah. planning not the usual suspects. We're not mm. planning Chardonnay. We're not planning Merlot. We're not planning Cabernet Sauvignon. They're picking European rivals that work. And then and I guess what you and your brother are doing in a, in a more restrained and style. My, I didn't mention this, but my brother got into wine more seriously because of Raj Parr. Okay. So he worked at, He opened RN74 with Raj. Gotcha. Got into that whole thing, so Raj is really important to both of us. And well, that's this cross pollination, and and the, yeah. another thing that I keep, and I think it was Pascaline that reminded me of this one time when I was lamenting, why don't I drink more American wines? Um, we're kind of, sort of like new at it again. I mean, we had viticulture was thriving here in the late eighteen hundreds in California into the early nineteen hundreds, and then the prohibition was just like the death of it all, and then the depression, and then World War Two. I mean, it was just like all of these sort and of, and then Robert Parker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't get, well, and, and not and just Parker, but you count, you know, you count Davis and this idea of winemaking suddenly being done with test tubes and vials yeah, and yeah. and yeah. being you know over manipulated the whole way through, but especially after the crush. And yeah, and Parker with his numerical scoring yeah. and this just unending love for fucking these just overly constructed <laughs> fruit bomb fifteen five. I don't know. There was no explanation. It's good so to now, see now it's kind of like so. We're almost like third or fourth generation. We're we're new at this. Yeah. I mean, we just we don't. Now we're learning more about what goes on certain soils and when to pick. And it's right. So it's we're we're kind of figuring it out. So yeah, I'm trying to really drink more Americans. Um, yeah, the comeback of California rosé. I think is coming. It's cool. And your book's coming. Guys, thanks for coming yeah, out. Thank you for having so, us. So, Lyle Railsback, Kermit Lynch. Again, uh, my advice to people that if they want to, if they want to, if you're exploring the world of wines and you know a style or a varietal, 
don't buy it from the label design. Figure out whose portfolio it's from. And there's 15 or 20 or maybe 25 or 30 now. Ami Kermit was at the forefront of this, but there's a bunch of others who are just, you're pretty much guaranteed. You're going to get... the pickiest uh, importer I know. But I was... I was a restaurant buyer for 10 years and my list was half Kermit wines and you taste a lot of wine every day. And there's other, I I used to buy Rosenthal. I used to buy Dresner. There's lots of other good shit, but Kermit, no one, Kermit is just, he's the best. Yeah, It's kind of the gold standard. I wouldn't disagree. I mean, Kermit's kind of the gold standard. It's true. And Victoria, great to see you. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. We had a great meal a couple of weeks ago. We'll be in with cameras and probably this spring for sure. Nice. Um, let your chef know it was great, wonderful. Keep it up, do. and we'll, and you're coming back in May or June because you've got a book coming out. Pascalina and Alice Firing have a book coming out called like Dirty. What's it called? I don't know, but the rosé one's called Drink Pink. <laughs> All right, theirs is a tongue in cheek yeah. thing on, on on soil. Anyway, thanks. That's the end of the show. Takes care. And next week, if you don't like wine, sorry about this, but I have one more show. That's all I'm going to talk about. We've got Fred Dexheimer coming in next week. Fred has recently Freddy. came back up from the South. He was down in like I don't know North Carolina for a while. Yeah. I don't know why he went down there, but anyway, he's back in New York, big time. Fred's one of my. I've known Fred for. I know him when, when he worked for Lauren Turandell back when Lauren Turandell still owned BLT. And Fred got his master psalm when he was still in his 20s. And, and he's a kid from, like, rural Pennsylvania who's got so much energy. So Fred and I, the entire hour, are going to talk about wine. <laughs> if you don't like it, fuck you. If you like it, good. <laughs> anyway, thank you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 